going to read. Um, it won't be on the screen, but you can listen. You can follow along in your Bibles if you want to. Just know that it will jump around a little bit, um, but it will retain the flow of the event and, um, yeah, it won't leave out any of the integrity of, of the story. So this is the recount of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault in him. Then the high officials and satraps said to the king, We are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room, upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they came near and said before the king, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the sun went down about how to rescue him. Then these men said to the king, no injunction that the king establishes can be changed. So the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den, he cried out in a tone of anguish, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. This is God's word of truth. brief word of explanation as to why I'm here this morning. For some time I've thought how much I would enjoy it if I was able to preach once I was 90. <laughs> well, I've turned 90 and Pastor Duncan... Pastor Duncan has very graciously allowed me to preach this morning and I thank him most sincerely for giving me this opportunity. 
Let's have a word of prayer as we turn to God's word. Father, we bow before you as we turn now to your word. And we ask that the Holy Spirit will do the work that you sent him into the world to do. We ask that he will speak to our spirits this morning and reveal to us what you wish to say to us today. Help us, Father, to put all other thoughts aside and to concentrate on what the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a lad, a long time ago, we often sang a chorus, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose true, and dare to make it known. And this story of Daniel in the lion's den is certainly one of the things that Daniel is noted for. And probably for most Christians, it's about the only thing that Daniel is noted for. And we need to have a good, close look at Daniel and see why it was that he stood so firmly and strongly for God. And then we need to look at our own lives and see if we are like Daniel ourselves. Daniel lived in a very strongly secular society, just as we do today. A society that scarcely seems to know God. A society where God is often openly ridiculed and where many are antagonistic to him. We read in Daniel chapter 1 where Jerusalem was captured and conquered. And the conquering king ordered his high official to bring youths of the royal family and of the nobility back to Babylon. These youths were to be without blemish, of good appearance and skillful, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And one of these youths taken to Babylon was Daniel. He was either of the royal family or of the nobility, and the nobility were usually in those days connected closely with the royal family. So Daniel was one of these. He was probably a teenager at the time. And as such, he would have been very well versed in Israeli royal affairs of the time. He would have been of much the same age as the youthful King Jehoiakim, who was made king at 18 years of age, but only ruled for three months. Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim, was the grandson of King Josiah, whom he would have known for some years. So Daniel, too, would most likely have known King Josiah. And King Josiah was a very godly king who instituted all kinds of reforms in the kingdom of Judah. King Josiah, we're told in 2 Kings 23, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and testimonies and statutes with all his heart and with all his soul 
to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book of the law. King Josiah very faithfully carried out this promise that he made to God. And he also restored the Passover and followed what was written in the law of Moses. Daniel would have heard all about what King Josiah had done for God. And it must have resonated in his heart. For Daniel from an early age started to walk with God himself. We know that right from the time that he first went to Babylon, he stood firmly for God when the vast majority of his fellow countrymen didn't. Daniel knew his God. Obviously, Daniel knew his God very well as he was determined to live for him. He knew how God had led the Israelites out of Egypt in a miraculous way. He knew of the initial Passover. He knew that God was omnipotent, all-powerful. He knew that God was able to do whatever he wanted to do or needed to do. And when the Red Sea was a wall of water in front of the Israelites and the Egyptian army was close behind, Daniel knew that God hadn't had to call an emergency council meeting in heaven to deal with the crisis. God simply parted the waters and the Israelites walked across on dry land. And when the Egyptian army tried to do the same, God brought the waters back together again and the whole Egyptian army was drowned. Daniel knew it. Through the 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, God met all the needs of the people and again in very marvellous ways. Their every need being met. He'd been with Moses as he led them those 40 years. His power had been seen over and over again. And then God had empowered Joshua to lead them into Canaan, where Joshua had conquered the land and established it as the homeland of the Israelites. Daniel knew from history that God had honoured his covenant with his people. He knew of King David's exploits. He knew how God had established the kingdom so wonderfully. He knew that his God was so great. He knew of the love that God had for his people as he had covenanted to be their God and to care for them, though they had to do their part by following, God's, by following God faithfully. Daniel knew that his God was the God of heaven, the eternal God, the only real true God. What wonderful things kings had been able to do because they trusted God and believed in him implicitly. King Jehoshaphat had sent the choir ahead of the army as they sang God's praises and God gave them a resounding victory. Daniel knew how King Hezekiah had taken the, the invading king's letter up to the house of the Lord and as he spread it out before the Lord and he read it out to him according to 2 Kings 20. And Hezekiah reminded God that he was the eternal God in heaven and that he alone was God. And then he asked God to save him so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that the Lord is God alone 
and God had saved Judah. Daniel would have known the wonderful Psalms that David wrote and sang. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Psalm 24, who shall stand in the Lord's holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Be still and and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Oh yes, our Daniel knew his God. He had a big God whom he trusted and with whom he had fellowship as he came into his presence day by day. In Daniel chapter 1, we saw where Daniel refused to compromise by eating food that was connected with idol worship. In Daniel chapter 2, he automatically turned to God for interpretation of the king's dream. And this resulted in the king acknowledging, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. In Daniel chapter 4, we again saw Daniel interpreting a dream and God was honoured. In Daniel chapter 5, we saw him reading the writing on the wall. Daniel was never afraid to go to God and seek help from him and then to state very publicly that it was God who had helped him. And he was always, remember, in a society that did not acknowledge God in any way. Daniel was so at ease with God and was so used to relying on him that he simply, naturally lived for God, letting everyone know by his life that God was so wonderful. So it's no surprise that we find him doing exactly the same in chapter 6 many years later. He was known for his love of God and his total dependence on God. That others were jealous of him and wanted to see the end of him didn't concern Daniel in the least. He simply continued to practice the presence of God. He just did what he always did. And three times a day, he went into the presence of God, talking with God and giving thanks to God. That he was caught in the act was of no concern to him at all. 
he knew his God. Daniel had continued to talk with God, even though the king had given an injunction saying that for the next 30 days, no one was to make any petition to any man or to any god except to the king himself. Anyone found guilty would be thrown into a den of lions. That didn't concern Daniel in the slightest. He just continued doing what he always did because he loved and honoured God. Daniel knew that his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they'd been saved by God from a fiery death. He also knew how God had worked miraculously for many others in the past. But at the same time, he also knew from history, the history of his people, that others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. Prophets had been killed, just as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews later on expressed it. But it made no difference to Daniel. Whatever the result, whether he would be saved or not, whatever the result, his task was simply to stand for God. So what did he do? He went to his house, as usual, three times a day. He had his windows wide open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he made his requests to God and gave thanks to God, just as he always did. There was nothing secret about it. There was nothing hidden. He was not ashamed of others knowing that he loved and served and honoured God. But he paid the price. But God wonderfully cared for him and protected him. But Daniel was prepared for whatever God had in mind for him. He knew his God and he was determined to live for him, determined to follow him. And as Christians today, how much we have to make us to determined to follow God at all costs. Daniel knew his God and all that God had done. And Daniel was determined to follow God at all costs. But what about us? What wonderful things God has done for us so that we too can know him intimately. And I'm speaking to Christians, those who have already asked the Lord Jesus to come into their hearts and lives. Just as Daniel was a follower of God, so are we when we have asked Jesus into our lives. We find, first of all, that we have sins forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we've also been redeemed. We've been brought back. Brought back to God through the payment of a price, the death of Jesus and the shedding of his blood. That forgiveness we desperately needed. Ezekiel 18.20 solemnly warns us that the soul who sins will die. Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
who can understand it? We are told again in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. While Romans 6.23 reminds us very clearly that the wages of sin is death. And wages, of course, are something that we earn. So we deserve the death penalty. We've earned it. The penalty that God had decreed had to be paid for sin. But when he died on the cross, Jesus paid that penalty for sin on our behalf, for he had no sin of his own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states very clearly, for our sakes God made him to be sin who had no sin. Hebrews 4.15 confirms this for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And into that sinless body, God poured the whole load of human sin, every sin of mine, every sin of yours, into that body, God poured the whole load of human sin and so Jesus died paying the penalty for sin that God had decreed had to be paid. Oh, we praise him and we thank him for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank him and praise him for our redemption. We don't deserve it. We've received it because of God's grace, his unmerited favour. And it was God who took the initiative. Do you remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And verse 8 continues, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Oh, God took the initiative. And this has given us peace with God. Romans 1.18 tells us the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness in men. And so God's wrath is against all unbelievers. And God's wrath is not a tantrum, nor is it a series of, of tantrums. God's wrath is an implacable hatred of sin. And we were guilty of our sin. But the wonderful news is, as Romans 5 and verse 10 tells us, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. That enemy disappeared as God accepted us, all because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We'd been guilty, and we deserved the death penalty. But Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, whoever, my, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
the sentence of eternal death for sin no longer applies to the believer. In its place we've received life, eternal life, the very life of God himself imparted to us. Just as Romans 8.1 so gloriously puts it, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's more. John 1 verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we have joined God's family. We are his children. Romans 8.15, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And Paul also added in Ephesians 1.5, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. As we believed in the Lord Jesus, we also automatically became members of God's kingdom. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is now in heaven. The heavenly realm is where we're expected to live as citizens of God's kingdom. Ephesians 2.19 says, We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this ties in with verse 6 of the same chapter. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And also Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, and we have been, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And we've not been left alone by ourselves on earth. Jesus said in John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor, even the Spirit of truth, to be with you forever. Acts 2 tells us how that initially took place, as the Holy Spirit came to dwell on earth and in people's lives. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 teaches us, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And this is confirmed in 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. He who has prepared us for this is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Romans 8 and 9 tells us anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So as I have asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, I belong to him. And therefore I have the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in me, just as Jesus promised. But this, he's not only the guarantee of all that God has promised me, he's actively working in my life as well, day by day, month by month, year by year. He is God's agent of sanctification in me, 
And this is a progressive, ongoing work as the Holy Spirit works in my life, changing me, making me more and more the kind of person that God wants me to be. The Holy Spirit's consuming passion is to see Jesus Christ honored and glorified in my life and in your life. Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And in verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 is as real for us as Christians today as it was when Paul wrote it. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your body, in your hearts, through faith. So in addition to all the wonderful things that God did for us in Jesus on the cross, he's also given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, ever-working, ever-changing us, become more and more like the person that God wants us to be. And at the same time, he's God's guarantee of all that he's going to do for us. And so we have a wonderful future ahead of us as well. You remember John 14, 2 and 3, where the Lord said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And he also said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Oh, yes, our earthly bodies die, but our spirits have life eternal sharing with God his own indestructible life. And Paul was able, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, to add further explanation to what Jesus said. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18, For this we declare to you in a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall, shall descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So in summary then, Daniel knew God through all the history of his people. What about us? What is our summary? Well, what do we have as we today live in a society that is largely either antagonistic to God or simply apathetic? We have the forgiveness of sins, we have redemption. We have peace with God. We have the wonderful and glorious gift of eternal life. We have acceptance 
by God, no longer enemies. We have entrance into the family of God, with God as our loving, caring, heavenly Father. And we have citizenship in the kingdom of God. And all of this because of what the Lord Jesus did for us and accomplished for us on the cross at Calvary. And then in addition, we have God's gift of the Holy Spirit to us. God the Holy Spirit indwelling us, strengthening us to live for God, making the Lord Jesus more and more real to us and changing us more and more into the kind of person God wants us to be. And we have the Holy Spirit as God's guarantee of all that he has prepared for us. And this includes the glorious future in the home that Jesus has gone ahead and is now preparing for us. With all of this, how can we as Christians not live for God in a hostile or apathetic secular society today? Daniel did, and so can we, to honour God and to bring glory to his name. It made no difference to Daniel what went on around him. It made no difference to him what decisions the government made. It made no difference that people opposed him. He simply continued to live for God, and he didn't care who knew it. He kept his windows wide open, letting the world know that he loved and worshipped God. And Christian, this morning I'm asking you, are your windows open? Is your life open for the world to see that you love and honour and worship God, that you are daily living for him? Or are your windows closed, hiding the fact that you're just secretly a Christian? Are you like Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, lest he be seen to be recognised as being interested in him? Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to his followers immediately before he ascended to the Father and sat in the place of honour beside him? He said in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And let me remind you, the Holy Spirit has come and he indwells you and he comes with power. That power will strengthen you in your Christian life. That power will enable you to live for others, to live openly for him, with the windows on your life wide open. So how about those windows? And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So parents... Do your children see how real God is to you as they see the way you live? Do they see you taking him into account in all facets of your life at home? Do they see from the way you live that God is the Lord of your home? Do they see that you apply God's word to decisions that are made in your home day by day? And do you enjoy family devotions with them? Grandparents, 
maybe great-grandparents, do your little ones see that you are truly concerned for them, for them to know and love God? Do you constantly pray for them to give their hearts to Jesus and accept God's values for their lives? Are your life's windows wide open? Do you take all your opportunities to let those grandchildren, great-grandchildren, know that you love Jesus, that you just simply love to read his word, and that you just love to spend time in his presence? Do they know it? Are your windows wide open? Young people, how do your fellows and the people that you mix with, how do they see you? Do they know that you go to church and that you go to the various groups in the church? Do they see that you're different by the values in life that you live by? Do they hear by what your lips speak? And do they see by where your feet take you that you're a Christian, loving God, honouring him? Do your attitudes make it very plain that you love Jesus for all that he's done for you? Folks in general, what about the windows in your lives? Compromise with worldly attitudes today is so very, very easy. Lots of people in the church are so little different from others outside in their views of modern day social questions, such as homosexuality, gay marriage, unequal yokes in marriage, unequal yokes in business, believers with unbelievers, gambling, raffles, use of Sunday and so on. Do you follow the Bible? Do you accept God's views on all issues in life? Are your windows wide open so that people know what you stand for? God has done so much for you. He's made so much available to you. How are you living for him in this extremely secular world? And just as I close, let me repeat the words with which I open this message. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. And dare to make it known.